0: My name is Vida Sister Prince, and today is March 26, 1992, and I am interviewing Chris Newman for the Oral History Project concerning World War II for the Missouri Historical Society. Chris Newman was a Tuskegee Airman during World War II and was the historian for the mural depicting black Americans in flight at the Lambert, St. Louis International Airport. <laughs> uh, good morning, and I'm glad to be with you, uh, Chris, and thanks. We, we've done this before uh, in front of school children, but uh, we're going to concentrate on the World War II and what you did. Um, what was your schooling? Where were you in school? Uh, in 1941,
1: 1941, I had one year of college, mm-hmm. and I was also, during the summer, working at a shirt factory mm-hmm. as an elevator operator, and it was there that I uh, started the little flying uh, training that uh, I received at uh, a, little fly- a little field in Illinois. Uh, I would go on Sundays and it cost $6 an hour to fly and a dollar to get there for transportation which was $7 and my little job paid $14 a week. So half of it went for one hour's flying time. I got about six hours in over there and was about ready to solo when the friend that I was going with dropped out and I had nobody to go with me anymore, so I dropped out also. But while I was there, I learned about the uh, Tuskegee Flying School that was being set up at uh, Tuskegee, Alabama. And they were accepting Negroes, as we were known of then, as then uh, for training. And the requirements were Uh, to take a mental examination and a physical and if you pass those you were in. Previous to this you needed two years college.
0: Oh, originally it was...
1: Two years years college college, and originally it was a two-year course but that was more Mm peacetime. Now the war had begun and uh, they had to train in large numbers so the uh, two years college requirement was dropped in favor of this uh, written examination.
0: I have a very basic question for you. What is a Tuskegee Airman?
1: Well, a Tuskegee Airman is, now the organization takes in anybody that's interested in aviation, but originally he was one who had trained or had come through the Tuskegee Army Flying School in some capacity. It could have been as as a mechanic or communications officer or finance, whatever. They received the training at Tuskegee. That was the home ground. Mm
0: -hmm. When did it start?
1: The, well.
0: I thought that it only started during the war.
1: No, it started, really, it started before the war. It was in being just as the war began. Mm -hmm. The first class started in 1941 and finished in 1942. In the meantime, put it like this, when the United States got into war in December of 41, they had, uh, Almost a class ready for graduation. There had been agitation to get it going. The military didn't didn't uh, want it. They never. Uh, uh, well, in fact, they tried to 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 uh, prevent it from coming about. But it was a political decision. Roosevelt. Who was coming up for re-election for the third time uh, was pretty anxious uh, to try to get all the votes he could, mm-hmm. and I think some compromising had been made uh, between the various voting groups, we'll say, mm-hmm. and uh, I believe this was one of the the uh, compromises cool. because the administration, Congress had to declare a law to set up the 99th Fighter Squadron, which was our first black flying outfit. And uh, <coughs> that's the way it went through. Mrs. Roosevelt was a big big plus in that, too. She pushed it verbally, openly. But the inside of the Army, they were still trying to kill it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the politicians, but they, uh, And
0: And one of those politicians was uh, Harry Truman,
1: I believe? Uh, Harry Truman. Uh-huh. Senator Truman, right. He, it's a funny thing how he got into it, uh, he had no idea on it at all. He was just a senator there at Washington and two, uh, pilots from Chicago, the head of a flying school at Chicago, and two pilots were flying in a rented airplane from Chicago to Washington to petition get the uh, blacks into the military flying. The airplane broke down in the meantime, somewhere in between. They finished up on the train, but when they were there on their way to see someone, They ran into Senator Truman, and just in the conversation, I don't know if it was on an elevator or a communicator of some sort, they uh, struck up a conversation, and they told him what they were about. And he was impressed. He said he didn't know that uh, blacks weren't allowed to fly in the military, and he said when it came up, he would push it, and he did.
0: So we were happy for him. Came to be. Um, you, where did your love for flying, your desire, where did that come from?
1: <laughs> well, I think that started with Charles Lindbergh. Really? Mm-hmm. I was five years old, and at the time I lived four blocks south of Market Street.
0: Do you remember the address?
1: The address, mm-hmm. 400 South of Jefferson. And, uh, he had flown across the ocean, and he had big celebration and whatnot, and there was some sort of a, of a local, uh, celebration. Okay. And the airplane flew down Market Street, very low, and, uh, they said that was Lindbergh. <laughs> I don't know if it was Lindbergh or not, but I thought it was. And uh, that's when I first started getting really into flying.
0: Was he a hero to you?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. Boy, headlines, everything. Even some songs or something. I would call something about the Lindy loop.
0: Lindy
1: hop? <laughs> no, the Lindy hop was a dance. I guess that was yeah. named after him also. I, I don't know. It was something about a Lindy, doing a Lindy loop.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: You know, a loop in oh, the airplane.
0: So, you're, so when you went over to Illinois, that was the first time that, that you went up? Yes. And, did, and you knew you loved it?
1: Oh, yes. Well, in between, though, I had built model airplanes, mm-hmm. and on a couple occasions, I had gotten all the way out to Lambert Field for air shows. And. Uh,
0: How'd you get out there as a boy?
1: Well, let's see, there were two others, uh, there were three of us. And, uh, well, as always, I'm with someone, the, uh, one of the fellas in the block, they were sort of affluent, as we call them, but Earl had everything, and- What was everything? Oh, we were boy scouts. He had the tent, the hunting knife, the, the axe, canteen, mm-hmm. the works and uh we could barely scrape up the uniform (laughs) so and plus he had a monkey he had a monkey a dog and he got the first the first uh, balloon tired bicycle that i saw he was he was rich rich. (laughs) okay at any rate we were going with him and uh, three of us were going together because he was uh, about a year older than i was and we went out to the air show mm, about 35, 1935, and uh, we went through an airplane, and the Navy put on a dive bombing, did demonstration, and well, it was a good time. But uh, that was just in between. Plus, he and I uh, built these little model airplanes, and uh, we tried to compete. We entered one into the Boy Scout uh, flying, uh, model flying contest at the arena. Mm-hmm. Ours didn't fly but a few feet. <laughs> <laughs> and the other kids, uh, they were climbing right on up all the, all the way. kind of think they had a little professional help.
0: In, in those days, um, probably you're right, in those days did you ever think that you really be flying someday?
1: Oh, I didn't, I didn't think that. Mm-hmm.
0: So was this, a, was this a field where, um, was it all Negro in those days, this particular field, or was it white and black and which, which mixed, this field in Illinois?
1: Oh, it was white. It
0: was white.
1: Yes, it was a white flying I fly, mm-hmm. and Earl Marshall, my friend, was only two there at that time, but there had been other uh, blacks that had been flying there.
0: Well, they must have wanted you to. Uh, they knew how, how badly you wanted to fly to tell you about Tuskegee.
1: Well, that was just conversation that came out. I don't think uh, somebody might have asked me. I uh, said something like, uh, uh, "Say, I hear they are uh, letting Negroes uh, fly in the army," and something about like that. And. Uh, But that's where I heard it. Mm -hmm. Being in the flying area, flying conversation, it came out. The little school, it wasn't much of a school, but uh, I was learning to fly.
0: Were you afraid? No. How about your parents?
1: My father, my mother wasn't. Your father was afraid? My father was, he was afraid of airplanes. Mm -hmm. He just didn't think they should be up there. (laughs) (laughs) I think he kinda associated being somewhere in heaven.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so so, um, did you enlist? How did how did this take place?
1: I enlisted well, what you had to do was to sign up for this examination. Mm -hmm. If you didn't pass the examination, that was the end of it. And uh I passed the examination and uh then the next day I took a physical mm-hmm. and I passed the physical and what
0: kind of examination was it, Chris?
1: Uh, it was...
0: <coughs> and I realize I'm asking you to go back well, a lot of years. To but me,
1: it, it, I think it was a sort of like these exams you get to determine what vocation you were... Mm-hmm. It was key... Or your
0: aptitude. Right.
1: Like. It was key to uh, Oh, the military, because I, I recall, I made a very good score on it because it was, uh, it dwelt on physics, mm-hmm. and that was kind of a, a good subject of mine, mm-hmm. and, uh, but they had mechanical examples, and you had to try to unravel and figure out what mm-hmm. they did or where they went, and, and different things, and uh, part of it was current events, and part of it was, uh, math and physics, and uh, that was about the size of it. I I would take it that the physics would have been the subject that covered it best, and most of the military equipment and everything and their projects uh, will fall under the uh, term of physics generally. So, but anyway, It was about a four-hour exam, and when it was over, we were notified later that we had uh, passed a fail. My friend that had been going to flying with me, he didn't pass it. And uh, so the next day, the physical, I passed that, so I didn't hear any more from them for about two or three weeks, and then I had to meet a board of officers, a major, lieutenant colonel, a couple of captains, and they interviewed me. And, well, they just asked me my opinion on things. And I had had a little military training. What
0: kind
1: of things? Oh, they asked questions, I guess, just to learn something about my that personality and mm-hmm. just to, to say he's okay or he's not okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I guess I satisfied them. I suppose they wondered how I made the score that I made. Though. Oh, did they? Yes. The one year of college, and they says you made a very high score. I didn't tell them why. <laughs> that was like the rabbit in the briar patch. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, wouldn't have done anything if it had been in another area. I wouldn't have done nearly as well. I was fitted for that, at any rate. And uh, this was all about February or March of 42, let me see, it was shortly after Pearl Harbor that I heard about it when I signed up. Yes, it was around March of 42, and I uh, got another call about June or July. I had to go and take another physical in case i
0: and something in between. <laughs> right.
1: And so I had to go to Jefferson Barracks for that and I took that physical and I was then the next communication was about September. I was 1A uh, in the draft. So what they did is they swore me into the Army as a private and put me on uh, inactive status. So I was in the Army technically. But I was still out on the streets, waiting for my name to come up to go to Tuskegee. The flying suit, because they had a quota or a list or something, and they uh, could only take so many. So many the time. And uh, I thought maybe they were juggling lists, because I never seemed to come up. However, in January,
0: 43,
1: I received orders to go to Tuskegee and uh, issued uh, a voucher for a train ticket, and I bypassed everything went straight to Tuskegee.
0: How, how are things at home? I mean, uh, you were doing something that was really uh, rare, I mean, it's just, yes. how was it received by your
1: friends, or, and you were, well, my friends like, knew that I wanted to go, the they knew that, they were, right, Those that knew about it, I didn't go around telling everybody, hey, I'm going into the Army Air Corps because the draft was in bloom then and everybody was trying to avoid going into the military. And uh, I was eyeballed in that I was trying to get in. I wasn't trying to get into the Army, I was trying to get into flying. Into flying. Yes. And, uh,
0: Okay, so, so you went, you went, got on the train,
1: and... Got on the train. My father went with me to the train, uh-huh. but my mother didn't, and uh, so he...
0: What'd your dad do?
1: My dad was a butcher in a, a packing house. It, uh, it was an independent packing house. I won't show to. He worked there from the time he got here until he retired. All right,
0: so, so were you by yourself? Or were there other men
1: going with you? I was alone. There was another fellow who I met just at the physical, that second physical, and I uh, saw him there. But <laughs> he went to this ticket agent, and I went to this other one. And when we got our tickets, I had my ticket with a supplemental ticket for uh, the Pullman berth, and his was uh, it was all on one, so we ended up in different places on the train. I didn't understand why, but at any rate, uh, I think we are down to Knoxville or Louisville or somewhere in Kentucky before I got the and, uh But then everybody was in, in sleep. The next morning I saw him.
0: Were you concerned at all um, about going south? those days. I mean St. Louis was a segregated city.
1: Uh, I was born in Mississippi. Oh you were? My my family moved here when I was about 10 or 11 months something like one year old and uh, I had gone back two or three times as a a little boy and uh, I, I was from the well, plus the fact that uh, all of my family was from the south, so I wasn't uh, greenhorn, so to speak, about the conditions. And plus, I heard incidents, so I knew that uh, you have to be careful. And uh, going south, well, that's where it was, so that's where I went.
0: You know. Um i pull you away from where we are right now, though. We had had that lynching in Sykeston, Missouri. I remember. And, and that was 42.
1: Was the 42? I remember it. It was pretty vivid. <laughs> uh, I think it was a... I believe the guy was a preacher, I believe. If i not mistaken.
0: Um, that would, uh, how did that affect you, younger people?
1: Well, it's, it's frightening, I guess. I wasn't there, you know.
0: Was it something the, that you all talked same. about? Was it something that you were concerned with? Well,
1: lynchings were uh, an ongoing topic. There was agitation to get laws passed, to uh, specifically make it, a, I guess, a federal offense. Mm-hmm. It was just another murder, which the states have control over. And, uh, but they felt that if it was a federal law, then the federal government could stop it. That was what was, I think, as best as I could understand it at, at the time, was the uh, thrust but uh, I don't think they got very far with it as so far as Congress was concerned.
0: As far as is your life was concerned, um, this was happening here and then you were getting on a train and going down to train to fight for your country.
1: Yes. Well, you know, sometimes I've heard people uh, question uh, the blacks' loyalty and, uh, That's
0: not what I'm doing. No, I don't... I'm, I'm not, asking you, how how did that feel? Did you, you know, it's not... It's like you, you were fighting for freedom, but you didn't really have that kind of freedom that you were fighting for. And, you know, how did you feel about that?
1: Well, I wasn't... uh
0: I don't mean to interrupt you talking about loyalty, I just wanted you to understand. Well,
1: that that was supposed to be an example, but uh, the the feeling that I had, I didn't think about the conditions here that I'm fighting for that I don't like. I was thinking about the possibility of this being a first step, maybe in breaking down a wall or eliminating some of those conditions that I didn't like. It it was an opportunity to to break the military open Mm -hmm. in a field or an area where it hadn't been.
0: It was your own fight in a way.
1: Oh yes, we all fought that battle personally.
0: Um. When
1: you, uh, all right, so you, so you went down. Yes, and, uh, it seemed like it took uh, about 24 hours to get there. And when I arrived, the vehicle that picked us up at this little building out in nowhere where the train stopped. It was called Chiha, but it was just a building. and Chihaw uh, Cheehaw. Cheehaw an Indian name, C-H-E-H-A-W, I think it was spelled, and a uh, vehicle picked us up and took us to the base, which was approximately two or three miles from it. And uh, from there on, it was strictly the military. I didn't have anything to do but what I was told, and uh, and that was strictly all I we were told when we first got there, you have three answers. Yes sir, no sir, no excuse sir. <laughs> and it was funny, that fit whatever you had to come up against. Mm-hmm. And so, but the training started there and I, uh, that's where I received my uniform. I was still in civilian clothes and everything and I had to Pack those up in a box and send them back. The
0: uh, who were you meeting, Chris? Who? Yeah, who were the other people that you were meeting?
1: Oh well, now this is on the army air base that was built mm-hmm. just for us.
0: I mean, what kind of kind of young boys? What kind of young men? Oh, they
1: were all the same. We were uh, in our lower twenties even teens, uh, various levels of college, and uh, the first one, the very beginning, those guys were all college graduates. And uh,
0: But you had to be at least in college, This needed yes. to be a graduate, but right. you had to be involved in college.
1: Right. And one of our, they say, uh, well, the, the, the whole training was sort of based on West Point's sta- uh, procedure standing. We said the same uh, dodo verses that they had used at West Point. In what? Dodo verses. Dodo. Yes, dodo. Dodo, uh, dodo was a bird that is extinct, uh-huh. and uh, we were all dodos, so to speak. It's just like another term was dummies. Yeah. We were all dummies. Yeah.
0: That hazing, you mean? That? Right, okay.
1: right. That's exactly what it was. Any, There were eight classes. Each month a new class started, and, and a class graduated off the top, and you gradually worked up the ladder. Well, just arriving, all of the cadets there were just like officers. Any cadet there could tell me to go jump in the lake, and I had to do it. Yes, sir. But then, after the first month, there was a class below me, and then I could tell the members of that class where to go, but all the rest was still on top of it, and that's the way you gradually worked up through it. The first two months was pre-flight, that was on the Army base. Then the next two months, we started our flying training, called the Primary Flying. And that was done by contract with Tuskegee Institute. They had a little field, and they had these little bi-wing trainers, and they had a couple of Army officers there to check, check and make sure that uh, they washed out the right ones. And when you made it through there, at this time, you stayed on the campus and used campus facilities. And lots of girls around there. But then after that, you went back to the Army field and finished your basic flying and advanced flying, and then you graduated. That was approximately nine and a half months later.
0: And how were you treated? Oh. You had white officers teaching you?
1: The, The beginning of primary flying by Tuskegee Institute, they were black. But then, with our six hours of flying time, and uh, going back to the base, the officers at the base were white. They were hard, and some of them were mean, and some of them were good. It was a cross-section, but the training was tough. I mean, it was, they molded us. And, uh, Did you like it? Oh, yes. yes I like it.
0: Was it what you thought it would be? did
1: you no, I had no idea but uh I, all i knew was just flying so you yeah. did keep at the beginning but when they got through uh teaching you about the theory of flight and maneuvers and communications i never could take this mars code very fast i don't hear well and
0: uh did they know that
1: Mm, I, no, I just knew. I just knew. Well, I knew I meant. We took a. Physical? I know I, t- I, I took a, a, a hearing test. Uh-huh. Uh, when I say I don't hear well, I could hear the sound. Didi did. That, but in my mind, oh, getting you. it. I think they learned it like a song or tune, and I was visualizing the little dots and dashes. But you want to visualize so fast, you know, when you're taking this cover down.
0: Well, you must have been in heaven because you were getting to do what you'd always wanted to
1: do. I was. The first day I was there, I was getting my uniform, and it was a tall fellow also. And he was complaining about coming into this cadet train. I looked at him, and uh, I didn't say anything. I said, well, what kind of a fool is this? You know, hey, I give him right arm, and he's complaining. And uh, later on, I saw him, and uh, I asked him, why uh, are you here? What, uh, what happened? And he said, you complained about coming in to get that training. And he told me he wasn't complaining about coming into the training. He had been...
0: What was the attitude of the boys there.
1: They were all very eager, very eager. Uh, well, they were about like me, I guess they all had this desire. The ones who were not strong for it were usually washed out in the beginning because uh, it would show up in their flying. If they didn't try hard, if they didn't, well, just keep at it, uh, they would be eliminated.
0: Was it hard, Chris?
1: Yes, it was hard. It was hard for me. You had
0: gone
1: to Passion, I believe? Yes, Sean High School. But the, uh, the hard part, the ground school wasn't hard. Mm-hmm. I don't recall anybody washing out of the classes academic class. Generally, it was washed out because uh, a few, for physical reasons, uh, may have uh, not been able to continue, but usually it was the flying. If you didn't learn to fly the Army way at the prescribed rate, you might have made a -a crackerjack pilot if you'd had a few more hours on this particular part of it, but you had to move along, and if you didn't, you were eliminated and that's, that's about the size of
0: it. Did you feel segregated down there?
1: We were. Yeah. We were all by ourselves, but the training was so intense, we didn't have much opportunity to get out and get into any trouble or anything. We were confined primarily to the base and the little town of Tuskegee we knew was rough. Our activities generally was between on the Army Airfield, on the Tuskegee campus, or I never got to Montgomery. So that was about as far as it went for the whole training.
0: So you graduated?
1: Yes. It
0: took
1: how long? Uh, nine months. Mm-hmm. Nine.
0: It's like a
1: baby. Nine, ten months. <laughs> well, it's been through quite a bit by this time. and the, the uh, wings and bars were, uh, well, I...
0: Well deserved.
1: Right. And I, I appreciated it. So you were a
0: lieutenant, a second lieutenant?
1: Grand-new second lieutenant with silver wings.
0: Thought you were a general, I bet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Felt like it. i uh, Who
0: was it, General
1: Davis? Davis? General Davis at that time was a captain.
0: Captain?
1: He was in the first class, and he went through as an officer, a captain, and the rest of them were just cadets. The others in his class, he had ten, five of them finished. Now,
0: there were two Ben Davises, weren't there? Right. Now, which, was was it his father, or was he the father of one that came up afterwards?
1: His father, Benjamin Davis, Sr., was an old Army career man. And he had retired
0: but that, is that where I'm getting the general, or did this captain become the general?
1: This captain became the general, oh. and uh he was called back to active duty, and uh he became the first he was a colonel when he retired, and they called him back to active duty, and he got a star, he became the first black general in the United States, so <coughs> Uh, but his son, who had gone to West Point and was now in the army captain, came into the cadet program, and uh, uh, he was in the first class. And he led the, the whole thing just about all the way. After that, he outranked anybody in it, and uh, plus he had this West Point background, so the
0: so he eventually became a general, also.
1: His son became a general also. also. His son became a general after the war, mm-hmm. and, but it, he was a career also, but in fact he became a three-star general.
0: Okay.
1: So, wait, did you get a leave after your... Uh... Yes, uh, as soon as we graduated, mm-hmm. we got 10-day uh, leave, mm-hmm. and I came home here, and I don't know, I, it was almost a waste. Everybody was drafted, uh, working somewhere, you know, because with the defense plants and everything going, everybody had a job, and I guess there were jobs that needed people. And I was really uh, sort of left out in a way, at, uh, you know, especially during the daytime, And uh, but by the time my two weeks was up, I had gotten into uh, the society a little bit, and it was time to go back. And then I had to go back. That's okay. when we flew the fighters.
0: Chris, uh, you said every, there was really nobody here. You're talking about young people, but but also, are you talking about older people too that wouldn't normally not be working we were working
1: now? No, older people here. I meant I was thinking like your uh, age. Yes. Yeah a 21-year-old uh, who's been gone for nine months and comes back home with everything, uh-huh. wants someone Want someone <laughs> oh, <Appreciate>. to... see it. <laughs> Did you go to, was there, were there USOs here?
0: Did you... I
1: don't recall. There was a USO, I believe, in down at the Keel Auditorium, but mm-hmm. that was white. I don't think there uh, was any other, although... Wait a minute.
0: Willow Sweetly Branch.
1: I believe there was something yes, but uh, being home here, I didn't, I didn't uh, attempt to go. It never even occurred to me. Mm-hmm. I was looking for my friends and different.
0: Before you went into this, what was your expectation that you might do when you were? What was your
1: expectation for your life? Well, I had electrical engineering in my mind. When I was younger, I always wanted to be a motorcycle cop. Mm -hmm. That seemed glamorous. But uh, just seriously, electrical engineering, electricity fascinated me and really sort of helped me with that exam. Anything that had a wire in it and whatnot, I would, I had to tear it apart, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and uh, my uh, schooling at uh, Stowe Teachers College was pre-engineering. It wasn't teaching. That was my goal.
0: What, to be an engineer?
1: Right. Electrical engineer. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about aeronautical engineering at the time. I'm sure it was, but uh, I was fascinated with the, the, the electricity.
0: All right, so you, you were here, and your leave was up?
1: I had to go back and uh, fly the P-40s, the fighters. You see, the training, we started with an instructor, and after we got fairly proficient, we flew by ourselves. We go to the next plane and the same thing, and then the third one. But in the fighters, after you finish these trainings, the fighters, you didn't have a dual training. You had to learn the uh, cockpit, the airplane characteristics, and everything. So you went up the first time, you went up by yourself. And that P-40 uh, was supposed to be been the Flying Coffin. Uh,
0: Pursuit plane. Yes.
1: Uh, the Widowmaker or whatever they called it, you know. That
0: builds confidence, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, especially from the class who's just flown it and they mm-hmm. come back and tell you, oh man, that P-40, oh those rudders. You try to push the rudder and the rudder push back and all kinds of stuff, you know. Oh, they had about 10 of them there, and the guys would get 10 hours in them, so they would ground loop them, that's when they scoot around and break a wheel off, and break a wing tip or something. They would repair them, and uh, they were always in a sad state. The plane? Yes. Now, but my class, we were in Florida the last two weeks of our Training for gunnery, we flew down to Florida and flew our airplanes down there and shot gunnery, made our scores and whatnot. Came back while we were there, there was a hurricane, and we had to take the, some of us. Some of them took airplanes further inland, and the rest of us just stayed there until it was over. The hurricane passed, and we lost about five days. So while we were there, that five days. Our instructor, one of them, like I say, there were some good instructors. Just started talking to us about this P40, and he says, "Oh shoot, you boys can fly that airplane." And he kept telling us this. So when our turn came to fly it, we didn't scratch a one. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: we
1: didn't scratch a one. Um, it broke that psyche.
0: Uh, you had a fair amount of boys from St. Louis, men from St. Louis. Uh, yes. Like the, you know, I keep I keep calling people my age, and I look back, as boys and girls.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And somebody reminded me yesterday, it's, it's men and women. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I say, when you, when you get so old, you have to start Uh, recognizing. uh, St. Louis was uh, evidently uh, blessed. We had more there than any other city for a while.
0: Why do you suppose that was?
1: Personally, I've uh, said this uh, before that St. Louis has always been an aviation-minded place. And I believe that the powers that be here just decided that uh, we'll have to push this in keeping with our Mm -hmm. flying reputation. Mm -hmm. And other places, they were actually uh, discouraged. I know Ohio was bad
0: a list of people here. You might want to... It's it's an old list. Uh, let's
1: see. Oh, those are the uh, pilots that uh, finished. From here. Right. Those were the 23 that uh, made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the uh, numbers down there in the cadet program from time to time, it's We had more cadets down there at one time. I know we had more when I was there. Mm -hmm. Say, comparing with any other city. Eventually, New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles caught up with us, but...
0: Are any of the things that that you have uh, with you right now, if you want to bring them out as we uh, talk, as we...
1: There was that list of names that I... uh, I know it's in here because it's the center panel of the, uh... Black mural? Right.
0: What do you like that to be called out there, when we speak of it like that? I'm saying black mural. uh,
1: Well, it's titled... Black Americans in Flight, I -hmm. think is the title of it. Yes, Black Americans in Flight. Mm -hmm. That's fine. It doesn't matter.
0: I was uh, speaking to um, Jenny Rogers yesterday, and mm. I mentioned uh, Wendell Pruitt, and he said that uh, there's there this—he um, said nobody ever talks about uh, uh, McCullum.
1: Okay. I agree.
0: And uh, so I thought maybe uh, we'd mention his name, so um, whoever hears this tape and reads the transcript will know that there was—
1: James McCullum.
0: McCullum. McCullum. McCullum.
1: Jane McCullum was the first pilot we lost in combat. The very first. In fact, when there was a debate on putting somebody on the uh, other mural, mm-hmm. we recommended James McCullum and Wendell Pruitt as two choices. And that was hashed back and forth and back and forth eventually the artist died and then it became locked in and that's why they got around to another mural but the uh, recommendation of our outfit our uh, chapter was that James McCullum or Wendell Pruitt Pruitt was our best pilot
0: best
1: best In my opinion, in most of the uh, the, uh, the guy's opinions, Pruitt, he was a fighter pilot, so to speak. He wasn't the best person as as a model officer now because he was uh, into trouble quite a bit. But as fighter pilots go, you know, they're supposed to be dashing and bold and daring and not caring. Pruitt was all of it. McCullum was a conservative guy. He just happened to have gotten killed first.
0: And where did Chris Newman fit into the dashing, daring, or conservative? How did you fly? How was it for you?
1: Oh, my flying was okay. It was, I'd say, good. I got compliments on my formation flying and my landings. I don't think anybody beat me, really. But, in fact, I could almost prove it, uh, but, uh, well, I didn't, I, I don't, I consider myself about average on line.
0: But I meant, were you a conservative, or were you more dashing and daring?
1: Well, there are some things I did you would call reckless, but others that I did not do, because I was afraid.
0: Well, is dashing and daring reckless? I mean, is, is...
1: In some sense, uh... Well, look at it like this. When we flew militarily, there were no restrictions on uh, where we flew or how high we flew. We, as long as it wasn't over a city, where you couldn't glide out of the city if you went down. But after that, we buzzed and just did pretty much what we wanted to do. And one of the things that fighter pilots set as a standard was to do a slow roll on the deck down down top of the ground. It's a dangerous thing. And, uh, well, you could do it in the air if you slice out. Well, you just didn't do it gracefully. But uh, if you went down on the ground when you do this and you slice out, you hit the ground. And that's when it uh, occurred to me that that was one that I shouldn't do. Shouldn't do? Uh, should not do because I was uh, was in advance. I was in the advanced training. I was behind the guy and we were just buzzing along and he pulled his nose up and did a slow roll and I pulled up and started a slow roll and hit his slipstream. And I was just about inverted looking up at the ground there and the airplane took a dip and so I went back. I didn't go complete through with it. The shortest way was back the way I started. It had been better to just continue to roll on over since I was in that motion, you know, just turning right on over. And I thought, I said now, he was in front and he picked the spot for him to do a slow roll. And I was behind following him and I was at a slight disadvantage. I wouldn't have been directly behind him. I didn't even think about hitting his slipstream, the turbulence behind the airplane, that's what I'm talking about. And, uh, but it was enough to convince me that that didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And we lost quite a few pilots.
0: That's foolish. Mm
1: -hmm. Doing this slow roll on the deck, Mm -hmm. doing the slow roll. That was one that I just quietly eliminated. eliminated.
0: Uh, okay, so you went you went straight to Italy?
1: No, I went to Detroit, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had uh, advanced fighter training mm-hmm. or combat training, and we flew various missions up there getting ready for combat. We learned to fly Tuskegee and we were checked out in the P40, so we went there and we flew these uh, the equally as old airplanes, P39s. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I went overseas. I mean, after I completed that, or well, they completed it for us because a lot of the training time they they just penciled in. The weather was bad. It was in the winter and flying. It's just north of Detroit. Mm-hmm and uh, often we didn't have flying weather.
0: I'd like to know, uh, I want to know what you all flew, and what were your, uh, what were your responsibilities, and you know, you flew this plane and did this, and you flew this plane and, and, and I this, what, 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 were you, what did you do when you were there?
1: Well. At Selfridge Field, Michigan, we were still training for combat. We flew. Well,
0: I meant, I meant when you got overseas.
1: Oh, now after we got overseas yeah. in, into combat. I mean, as the different
0: say. squadrons, and I think at one time you you did different. You flew different planes for different reasons, and had different yeah. goals and yes. different purposes.
1: The 99th Fighter Squadron had gone overseas and had been flying with a white group for, oh, almost a year when I arrived. But this 332nd Fighter Group it was just a month in combat when I was the first replacement for it. We were doing patrol work. Uh, the ninth was still fighting, flying uh, close interdiction, as they called it, uh, ground support. They were working in conjunction with the ground troops and we were flying patrol over the Naples Harbor and from Naples up to, there was a beachhead called Anzio Beachhead and we flew patrol on that area between those two and we did this for about three months. Then we were transferred to the 15th Air Force and started doing escort work. But that's when we changed from this P-39 to a more advanced fighter and started doing escort work. That's when General Akers says we were in the big league. We had arrived. We had been tested here, 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 here. And uh, (laughs) he says, but... uh, you're now in, going into the big league, the top.
0: Escorting the bombers, right? Uh, and General Acres was
1: black, no, white? No, he was he was white. He was a he was a three-star general uh-huh. then. And he
0: was in charge
1: of you all. He was in charge of I don't know exactly what his his uh, command was, but he was over the whole area. Uh, he I know the 15th and the 12th Air Force flew out of Italy, the 8th and 9th flew out of England. Those were our four Air Forces flying over the enemy, and uh, he was in a a job that covered both of them, both areas, and he was just passing through, and uh, in fact, I never would have seen him had I not been just new there. and we were still trying to set our tent up and uh, our commanding officer said come on with me come on with me i need a staff so we went into the our little officer's mess about the size of this these two tables here and he came in and we sat there as if we were somebody uh, uh, administrative you know and uh But the uh, squadron commander wanted somebody there to, just to give the appearance of a staff. (laughs) And that's how I happened to be there. And and I I was always a three-star general talking across the table to me, to me talking to general. But uh, he told us that, uh, he says, you don't know what we've gone through. Like I said, there was some good ones and some bad ones. There was another general hunter that his whole career trying to get us out, oh. and he was there just pushing us up. You, yeah. said you don't know
0: what we've gone through or what. what uh, it was uh,
1: through? But, uh, to get you at this point, he said there were guys that said you you came from Africa or the South, and you wasn't used to cold and flying at altitude. You just wouldn't be able to function, and plus. Your primarily uh, background is agriculture, and you don't know anything about machinery, so you won't be able to uh, work on these airplanes, these technical devices. And he just cited some things like that, saying that uh, you don't know what all we didn't hear.
0: Now you and I are sitting here, you're telling me about this it's 40-something, almost 50 years, and
1: and uh, we're smiling, but how'd you feel when they were saying that? Oh, I don't know. It wasn't, uh, I, it wasn't a He was just- No, he was- He, he was just citing what had been said. Well, we knew.
0: But how'd you feel,
1: anyway? Oh, I don't know. The emphasis was on the fact that we were, we were going over to 15th. And uh, that was just thrown in for uh, no comment. I get. I don't recall any any feeling. I tell you, uh, when you grow up under these conditions, uh, you're not surprised at anything. You know, some people might say, and uh, you worry more about what they might do now. But uh, the statements
0: saying doesn't saying you're used to. But the consequences of something that they might do was always there.
1: Right. Because
0: uh, they had the power.
1: Yes. Oh, yes,
0: yes. Whether it was in a military situation or not.
1: Well, civilian, whatever, we were, uh, uh we say vulnerable. Mm-hmm.
0: Always a threat. Mm-hmm. Sort of hanging over mm-hmm.
1: Yes.
0: Has that ever left you?
1: No, not really. I grew up, you know, well, let's say now, (laughs) when I was a kid, the police had much more power than they have today. In our neighborhood, when we saw a patrolman walking, we moved out. We left. We didn't want to be there when he got there, because he may use us as an example to show his authority or to keep uh, a certain amount of fear for him in the neighborhood. And uh, But it was just standard.
0: Was mm-hmm. the white police?
1: White, yes, and also there were blacks, but they didn't have but a handful of them. They were, they were very mean. <laughs>
0: they
1: were very mean? Yes, they were very mean. I guess they
0: felt they had
1: to set an example. Uh, maybe they felt that they had to do uh, what was normal and then some. If you say, be head and shoulders mm-hmm. above. I'm I,
0: taking you back from Italy. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That's all right. I mean, whatever. Italy.
1: Back to Italy, okay. We are at the point where we're about to go from there. 12th to the 15th, and from patrol work, which was just mundane for the most part, into combat. Yeah, real aerial warfare. And uh, I had an accident, and I got burned. I was in the hospital about two and a half months.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, when I got out and got back to the outfit, (coughs) they had some guys had shot down airplanes and they had gone into the P-47, which was a big tank-like airplane, and were now in the P-51s, which was our top fighter, number one. And so I went right into hog heaven, so to speak. (laughs) It was, uh, well, it was just, it was awesome in my opinion, and uh, I don't know, I was elated. I was scared, I didn't know what. Now, I had been with the squadron on record about four months, but I was brand new as far as this new work was concerned, so here are these new guys who I didn't even know ahead of me. I didn't like that because uh, you want to get promotions sort of as you get seniority.
0: It's competitive.
1: Oh yes. In fact that uh, there that was one thing I fought our outfit for. It was competitive to the extent that nobody helped anybody else too much. Mm-hmm. Now me and my class, we were close. We would discuss this or what would you do in a situation like this or that. But the fellas who are a class ahead or, or in another flight, if they feel that they know something that's good that'll make them a star, they aren't telling you about it. That was just a little, that rivalry. You've got to beat the other guy. And,
0: uh, did you feel as you were flying that you were getting better and better, that you were... or did you find that as you flew, you realized there was a lot you didn't know? How did that work?
1: Well, it, it, it works both ways. Every time you go up, you would learn something, something new, something different, just a little something. And, uh, but as, uh, I flew, I felt better with my flying, but I felt pretty good with that anyway. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel, I never had any fear of flying, Now I had fear of combat, because I was always afraid that uh, I wouldn't see somebody.
0: That shows, I think, high intelligence, (laughs) (laughs) fear of combat.
1: Well, the, uh, uh, like you say, it was a death fight and the fight to death, so to speak.